listening to The Gender Rebels, a question-and-answer podcast that explores life outside the gender binary. I'm Kathleen, a cis woman and ally. And I'm Faith, a transgender woman. We'll be exploring topics like hormones, surgery, tucking, binding, boys, girls, and everything in between. And if you disagree with us, factually, morally, or scientifically, then you're probably wrong. Hey, Faith, I got a question. What's your question? You know how you went to medical school and you know all the medical stuff that I have questions about? Um, something I need to tell you. Okay. I am not a qualified medical doctor. For fuck's sake. Sorry. Faith. Okay. Well, I have great news. We have an MD with us today. Everyone, I'd like to introduce you. We have Dr. Aaron Jansen with us today. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming to talk with this us today. This is fantastic because we are not really qualified to to answer any questions. Officially. Apparently, Faith is not qualified to answer any of these questions. Yes. Well, hopefully I can be of help. I hope so. Right. Everyone, I'm, I'm so pleased to have Dr. Jansen here. I want to let you know that he is a colleague of mine at NYU. He is Assistant Professor of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. He's also the Clinical Director of the Gender and Sexuality Service. There are links down below so you can find his bio and also the new page for the Gender and Sexuality Service right. site. And that just went up May 1st, right? Mm-hmm. That's brand new. Wow. Brand so new. It is, it is beautiful. Everyone check it out. It is very, very mm-hmm. impressive. Before we begin with my thousands of questions, I want to let you, our listeners, know that the Gender Rebels and their guests do not provide medical advice or opinion. We are not responsible for any action you take as a result of what you've learned today. Talk to your doctor before you make any decisions that affect your health for your child's health. Now we can okay. talk about medical stuff. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So mm-hmm. uh, as everyone can see from the links down below, there is a great webinar that you gave last year that I really liked, really informative, really, really interesting. And you mentioned something that I thought was interesting that our listeners might wonder about, which is that transgender and gender nonconforming individuals often have to teach their doctors about their conditions. And that sucks, and we need to work on that, and things will be better in the future. But for now, just talking about dealing with the situations mm-hmm. now, what would you advise that patients do? How's the best way to do this? What, what makes it easy for them and their doctor? Well, what I would say as a first and foremost mm-hmm. is that it behooves us as medical professionals to get better about educating ourselves. Yep about a wide swath of the population that has historically received horrendous care by us. Um, Not only medical knowledge, but just kind of basic human dignity. You know, the fact that folks have to worry about their own safety, about their own health competence before they come into a physician's office is just inexcusable. And I think we're doing what we can here at NYU, but, you know, in a broader sense within the larger community to try and educate folks. Mm -hmm. And certainly what I can tell you now is that people in medical school are getting better educated about transgender health issues Mm -hmm. than ever before, but it's still a problem. Um, And we're still faced with the reality that most physicians are not competent in providing care for trans folks. See, and I want to assume they mean well, but just aren't getting the training. I, I'm trying not to think had, that there are doctors I've who are actively hostile. I've had situations where I've gone to a doctor. I've said to the doctor, I am transgender. They look at my chart and go, Estradiol, what is that? What's that for? Um, so there is What that, do they think? Um, you're on birth control or something? No, I like it when they think I'm on birth control. Because yeah, then they think right. I'm cis. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't get pregnant. Please. So is that a situation where... How, how would a, a trans individual kind of 
best to communicate that when a doctor isn't getting the background. The clearly stated information. (laughs) In, I mean, here we are in the middle of downtown Manhattan in New York City, uh, where we have almost an embarrassment of riches. Mm -hmm. And we are in a a resource-rich city, so there are a lot of providers, and there are providers here who can provide competent good care. And I think we have the advantage of being able to look online and see who has the knowledge so you don't have to be faced with that kind of ignorance when you walk through the clinic because you only have, what, 10 minutes with your primary care provider? How you have to explain your whole kind of history and story Uh and really get to the main problem or the concern that you have coming to the physician's office if you have to educate them. So if you have the option to choose somebody who has advertisement on their website or in their profile about competency in this issue, go for that. If you don't have that option, which is 98% of the population in the United States, sometimes it really is a matter of kind of setting up those initial appointments and kind of doing your own trans 101 lecture, helping connect them to resources ahead of time, Mm -hmm. giving them people like myself their name so we can do the education for you so you're not the ones who have to do it Um, but you're gonna there's a range between ignorance and hostility that unfortunately just exists in the world right now and and we have to do what we can to change that so it's one of those things where you just accept that you might go through a couple of practitioners before you find the one that either knows the stuff or is willing to learn the stuff and willing to work with you right and figure out when you are treated with disrespect or ignorance or malpractice, mm. that there are ways to kind of communicate that to the rest of the community, both the medical right. community, the trans community, that are going to be effective. Mm-hmm. Like what? What would you recommend? I would not make any recommendations. <laughs> but I think you could probably guess that there are some yeah. online spaces where sure. um, people are more blunt about their or criticism. information yes. can be conveyed. Yes. All right, so that... that brings me to another question I have, which is, how can you tell if this, if your doctor is good or bad for you? Like, I get doctors are rushed and maybe mean the best, and maybe you don't feel like 100% listened to, but if you're mostly getting what you need, are you good to go? Or should we have a very high standard for the relationship a patient should have with their doctor? Like, when do you recommend pulling the plug? What's the thing to watch out for? I mean, that's going to be a very individualized decision, obviously. There's not going to be one correct answer for this, and each individual is going to have a tolerance for bullshit at a different degree than anybody else. And on any given day, it could vary, And also, yeah, if you're in a tiny community in, you know, rural Arkansas, you you might not have have that many options. options. Yeah. Yeah. And and what I would say, kind of, for a primary care person, Mm -hmm. I have a higher standard Mm -hmm. um, for incredibly specialized care, right? If you're getting... Um, a nodule removed from your vocal cord, right? the expertise around that particular procedure is probably going to trump um, a lot more than yeah. it would when you're trying to have a conversation with somebody about initiating hormones sure. or sexual practices mm-hmm. or just general wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to differ based upon the interventions that you're having. And even for some surgical procedures, a lot of folks don't aren't out to their providers because mm-hmm. of the fear of safety and the reality that uh, you often get sidetracked into a part of a conversation that has nothing to do with your dental procedure or right. your vocal cord yeah. nodule. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, if you're feeling unsafe, if you're feeling like you have to teach your provider, um, those are red flags to me. Sure, yeah. sure. And absolutely, if it's a situation where there are other 
general practitioners or dentists or nurse practitioners or, you know, if you have other options, absolutely. Yes. Keep your eyes open, maybe look around. But mm -hmm. And the other piece is the physician is one component of the medical practice. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes the physicians are amazing, but it's the, the rest of the staff that yeah. is not so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you have an amazing physician but a terrible staff, then uh, tell, the, tell the physicians. Yeah. yeah. We would prefer to know those things. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. That's really good to know. All right. Have you heard of transgender non-binary people being refused care at any from facilities or doctors? Just anecdotally, has this... Absolutely. All right. Wow. Yeah. I was afraid wow. you'd that say is... that. Mm -hmm. So what do you do then? Well, hopefully they find their way into a place like my clinic. Of course. Okay. Of course. Uh, I mean, those are the experiences that I've had with patients who have been refused care by other providers. Um, and they eventually find their way to providers that aren't going to refuse them care. And, and we get to bear the kind of those stories and those experiences and do what we can to try and correct and build trust within the medical community again. Because mm -hmm. um, it's very hard. I had a, a youngster I was seeing... Um, I don't say youngster because I've become that old person who uh -oh. refers to college <laughs> students as you youngsters. Were youngsters, so that you didn't have to gender the person. That is that is also another reason. Um, but I was seeing a youngster who went to a psychiatrist in college, and when they told their psychiatrist about a plan to transition, um, they were literally kicked out of wow. the room. Um, oh, so that. It happens, and that was two, three years ago. Um, Are you serious? I mean, I remember. That just happened? Yeah. I grew up evangelical. There were evangelical psychiatrists okay. who were, like, Jesus? from a Christian perspective, yeah. you know. And but this is Georgia. Think? This is Georgia, so it's a little different. But, yeah, that existed. So do you think if you had gone to a psychiatrist in Georgia, you might have been... Kicked out of the office? I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, obviously it happens. It depends on yeah. the psychiatrist. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. This was in Texas, so. but it happens here too. Right? It happens thing, in New yeah. York City, not yeah. just. Yeah, we like to think we're safe, but that but, is. but we're not. Oftentimes, it's much more subtle, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean it's any less damaging. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think probably what most people have said is just they'll experience, you know, oh, I just I have no knowledge about this. I okay. can't help you. Mm -hmm. um, and can you imagine, like, if you had diabetes, going to an endocrinologist and be like, I have diabetes. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I just, I don't yeah. know anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's our responsibility to know. Yeah. Fortunately, mm -hmm. there's not, like, a line in our medical training that says, all right, beyond this line, you're just not responsible. Right. Yeah. Uh, or right. at least know to know someone that you can refer, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would be the unideal second second right. piece yeah. right ideally everybody would be able to have a, a basic level of competence and care and empathy but that's obviously never going to happen yeah. and depending upon what happens um i'm not sure when this is going to air or if the executive order um, on so-called religious liberties oh, yeah, passes religious liberty. but mm -hmm. some have construed that you might be able to deny medical care to transgender mm -hmm. folks um, based on moral ground wow I wouldn't say moral, but sure. <laughs> I wouldn't either. But the that's a sincerely held on their interpretation to make their, their life as hard yeah, as possible. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Jeez. Oh my lord, that's it's going to get worse before it People gets better. Jerks, yeah. I wanted to ask you about people who go the DIY route. So we have some friends in the UK and other places where there's a lot more gatekeeping involved, and for their own reasons. 
taking a look at the risks. Some people in the don't past. have health insurance. They or, may go online and like order order hormones. Doing their own online, blockers, doing their own hormones. Which is not recommended. We, I, we know enough to not recommend that. Yes. <laughs> Please don't do that, guys. <laughs> Say someone decides they have to. No other option. No health care. A kid with parents who are actively blocking their efforts. Say they decide to take this risk. What should they watch out for? Is there any way to do this in a reasonably safe-ish way? No. There isn't. I mean, you, unfortunately, when you're online, you don't know exactly what you're getting. You don't know the quality of it. There are real risks and benefits to these treatments. And it doesn't mean that folks aren't going to do it. Um, And it doesn't mean that just because there's something that has risk doesn't mean that that risk isn't tolerable to that individual. But is it safe to do it without supervision? No, it's it's not. Um, but the risks, they're going to change from person to person. Yeah, um, are there particular warning signs someone might, might notice if they're doing this themselves and they hit into an unhealthy level, or is that too specific to each person? It's probably too specific okay. to each person. But like in general... Um, and I'm not somebody who typically will prescribe um, hormones as a mental health person. As a psychiatrist, I'm an MD, so I prescribe a lot of different medications and certainly evaluate and assess for hormonal treatments and for puberty blockers, etc. cetera. Uh, but I don't actually prescribe that medication, so I don't have kind of the detailed okay. information. That said, with kind of the estrogens... Um, there's blood clotting, particularly if you were a smoker. Um, There is impact on bone health. There's impact on emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of these things can be unpredictable. And these are safe, effective treatments. Mm -hmm. And by and large, most people who are on them tolerate them very well without any problems. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go the DIY route, chances are high that it's going to be fine. Um, But you might not be at the optimal level. Um, there might be other impacts. There are estrogen-responsive tumors um, oh, yeah. that could potentially be impacted by use of estrogen. There are testosterone-mediated growth issues that could happen, right? There's a lot of... I mean, hormones are of, potent. They can yeah. do a lot of stuff. It's, yeah. it's not nothing. Yeah. Um, but for the person who has to be, do it DIY, generally there's a reason for that. And mm-hmm. I think... One of the things we're trying to think about is how do we reduce the barriers so that folks have access Mm -hmm. to care in a safe way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, in the UK, um, particularly for for pediatric services, the challenge is that it's the National Healthcare Service, right, or NHS, Mm -hmm. um, which is amazing that they provide care for everyone. But in order to get access to Tavistock, to get your puberty blockers, Mm -hmm. you have to be of a certain age, you have to have gone through steps A, B, and C. Mm And it, there's rationale for it, but the wait list is too long for some kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what can we do? And we're thinking about maybe creating kind of a telepsychiatry program yes. out of uh, at my office mm-hmm. here so that maybe we can start doing some of those assessments for folks on waiting lists mm-hmm. remotely mm-hmm. Um, so they don't have to do it DIY. Mm-hmm. Great. So a question about a, a very specific case, just to see if this is at all safer but if someone is doing the diy route is it safer to just take blockers and leave the hormones 
for when they're able to consult with the doctor? Is that a good compromise for someone in this situation? Or just don't do that? Uh, None of this is good. I I know. I shouldn't even use the word good. Yeah, I mean, that's very specific. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of even the choice when and if one would choose blockers, Mm -hmm. um, there are pros and cons to that. I wouldn't even be able to comment if somebody's choosing one versus the other. It's sure. it's too specific, okay. I think. Okay. Most people who are DUI, D, DUI, um, DIY are older, generally, That's I would, it. I would right. suspect, because so. they have the resources to at least get this stuff illegally instead mm-hmm. of their parents. Maybe parents do illegally, I don't know. Parent, but, parents will do it for their kids every once in a while, not as much anymore, because mm-hmm. there's more folks who are providing yeah. um, the care. Um, but a lot of the kids who are doing it DIY are getting it from... Friends on the street. Yeah. Um, I mean, fifty percent of the homeless youth here in New York City are LGBTQ, mm. LGBTQ identified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have been kicked out of their homes, and so those are kids who aren't going to have health insurance yeah. and a ton of disposable income. And um, a grown-up adv- advocating for them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. It's a bad situation. It's scary, especially yeah. if you don't want to go to a medical situation, medical doctor. Maybe they might turn you in. Yeah. You know, and you, uh, yeah. I mean, not, not that they would necessarily, but they there's that fear. They're part of the system. They're part of the system. Right. So, people that are low income people are prioritized at Cal and Lord, right? Um, you know, I don't know specifically how they do it, but I know they do offer. Okay. Um, they have health outreach for teens. They have a homeless outreach. They have um, they do healthcare without ability to pay and dental care too. Okay. So there is, there are op- I mean, there's. I'm not familiar enough with, like, everything they offer, and I'm mm-hmm. not familiar enough with, like, what resources are out there for homeless teens, but we can always look it up and, like... Provide a link. Look below for some links. <laughs> I like how they always point down. I always as do. if the URL yeah. is right in front of us. There, there are, again, we're, we're a relatively resource-rich city. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Alley Forney Center mm-hmm. um, is a great resource for homeless youth, link homeless down below. queer youth. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, Health Outreach Team, Community Health Network, mm-hmm. Apicha. There's a lot of really good organizations doing good work. Yeah, the door. Right. That's not a good one. What is it? The, the door. door. The door. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, will you send us? Will you? I can Google it. We have these. Okay. If, if we'll I don't Google find it on Google, I'll yeah. So yeah. Chase it down. And it's it's just yeah, it's it's heartbreaking that. So many people it's, can't get this care. So many people can't get this care, and then there's other people in the world trying to like make care even harder, actively blocking so, it. Yeah, yeah. That is frustrating. As a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. I have always wondered. Uh, a lot of times, when people decide to transition, their doctor wants them to see a psychiatrist before they start the treatment or along with the treatment. Why? Well, we look to the current evidence-based guidelines for any kind of medical practice. Mm -hmm. And the two major documents that outline all of the evidence that we have in transgender healthcare, which is still relatively, uh, it's it's a field in its infancy in terms Mm -hmm. of kind of hard data and research. Mm -hmm. Um, But the two kind of documents that really have consolidated everything are the WPATH Standards of Care, the World Professional Association of Transgender Health Standards of Care, they're, it's downloadable for free. You can get a PDF mm-hmm. in, I think, like 12 different languages at wow. this point. Link down below. And the Endocrine Society Guidelines, those are harder to find because mm-hmm. um, it's in an academic journal. Ah, okay. No problem. Great parties, the Endocrine Society. <laughs> right? Um, but the standards of care, the WPATH standards of care, what most folks use in terms of uh, when it's appropriate to kind of refer mm-hmm. to hormonal treatment. Mm-hmm. 
and in the current standards of care, which are being revised at present, so this might change, but in the current ones, the recommendation is that if you're above 18 and you are seeking hormonal care, you do not need to see a mental health professional. Really? It is not recommended as a a priori requirement. Okay. Um, it is often something that is beneficial. Sure. Um, and particularly if there is a co-occurring mental health issue, um, it's always recommended. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's mm -hmm. not a requirement. And a lot of clinics will do it on an informed consent basis, um, like Cow and Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to go in with a letter from a mental health professional. It used to be, and some insurance companies still require mm -hmm. adults to have a letter from a qualified mental health professional in order to cover the care. Mm -hmm. But that's an insurance company issue, not kind of a practitioner issue. Sure, sure. A lot of practitioners are kind of working off old guidelines or just have a level of discomfort with it or mm -hmm. fearful about kind of being sued. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of fears that kind of put us mental health professionals in a bizarre place um, because our goal, those of us who practice mm -hmm. gender-affirming care, mm -hmm. are, we're not deciders. Um, our role is not to authenticate anybody's identity. Right. Mm -hmm. People know who they are. That has been well established. The goal is how do we help people get there mm -hmm. and make sure that they have the support that they need in order to do this transition as successfully as possible. Um, for kids, it is required to have a letter from a qualified okay. mental health professional. Um, and the consent of your parents. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's good reason for that. Yeah, this is, uh, it's, yeah. Kids' brains haven't finished forming yet. They haven't right. yet. They, yeah, they have a reputation for making less informed decisions. Correct. Sometimes. But what I would say is that, I mean, historically, the mental health field has been seen as gatekeepers because we have been gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. um, and there's kind of a whole historical reason for it that is very nuanced and less nefarious, I think, than people think. But there's certainly been enough of that nefarious quality to it, and mm -hmm. people have had enough really horrible experiences with psychiatrists and mental health people in the mm -hmm. past that we have a lot to apologize for and we have a lot to make up for. Mm -hmm. um, but those of us who are actually doing this work in, in an affirmative way, right, are... Our goal is to really work in partnership with the folks that we're working with mm -hmm. just to ensure the best outcomes. Great. Great. Well, that sort of reminds me of my last question. I'll ask it very quickly. Is you as a doctor working with transgender, non-binary patients, what are your concerns? How do you approach the work? Uh, in adults, it's very different than of with course. kids. Yeah. Um, and I would say a majority of my practice is with kids and adolescents, mm -hmm. um, and it's always refreshing to have adults as well because mm -hmm. it is so much more straightforward. <laughs> um, but with the kids and the youth, I mean, half of what I'm doing is making sure that the system that the child sits in mm -hmm. is safe mm -hmm. and affirming. Mm -hmm. um, the rates of mental health issues, including suicide attempts um, and suicidal ideation, is alarmingly high among the transgender population writ large, but as well as among youth. Mm -hmm. um, but what we know, and what I always emphasize in the families that I'm working with, is that kind of the one factor that really modifies and reduces risk and mm -hmm. improves outcomes, builds resilience, is family acceptance. And so, you know, what I'm doing, and always a part of every approach, is helping families to come to kind of 
understand their kid a little bit better mm -hmm. and know that parents are coming into treatment because they want what's best for their child. Yes. Sometimes they think that the best thing for their child is to kind of live an inauthentic life and never come out and never be trans. Mm -hmm. um, but they're coming at that by and large, at least 100% of the time that I have worked with families, mm -hmm. they're coming at that from a, a space of really wanting to protect their kid. Yes. And if you can mm -hmm. arm them with empathy and with the actual data that we have and the knowledge about what actually shapes these outcomes, most of the time parents and families will come to a clear understanding that my kid is my kid mm -hmm. and loving the shit out of my kid is the best thing that I can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I imagine you have to have that conversation with parents a lot of like, I'm not going to fix your kid. I'm going to tell you the best way to help your kid. And it's right. not the way you're going to want me to tell yeah. you how to I do was, that. Yeah. My, my general line um, with a lot of it is everybody kind of leaves unhappy. <laughs> but... <laughs> If you understand why, yes. it's actually fine because, you know, a kid who comes in kind of wants what they want right now mm -hmm. and a parent wants it in like 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, wait till you're 18, mm -hmm. wait till you're 25 or wait till never. Um, and there's always going to be a little bit of a gap in terms of understanding how we can bridge those two competing interests. Mm -hmm. and so typically we find some middle path um, where hopefully it works for everybody, but mm -hmm. not always. Sounds like a hard job. It's a fun job. Well, I believe you. It's a privilege. What an exciting work. Well, it I sounds mean, like it's, it's important work and work that a lot of families and kids definitely benefit from. Need, so, yeah. And we need it. So that's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us. Thank this you, Dr. Johnson. Really, really helpful. It was a pleasure. Then we will wrap up. Uh, but if you're interested and available, we could do another one just focusing on kids. And, uh, mm -hmm. specific All right. Anytime. Awesome. Right. That was so easy. Great. So great of you. Well, thank, thank you. you. So much. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to The Gender Rebels. Please send your questions to questions at genderrebels.com. If you like us, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. That makes it easier for other people to find us. Music for The Gender Rebels is by Jasper the Colossal. Find the link down below or download them on iTunes today. And for more of The Gender Rebels, visit our website, genderrebels.com. Gender Rebels is a Comeback Sync production. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. And to all you Gender Rebels out there, keep rebelling. Bye. Bye.